That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Anya? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. Some very important issues on the field, off the field. We got Ian Anderson's debut to talk about. I've been very excited to talk about that for a while. It went amazingly. Uh, but yeah, it's been a... It's been a very important point for our sports world, especially baseball. Yeah, yeah. Pretty interesting stuff. Um, you know, we've been sports fans our, our whole lives. We have not seen um, things of this proportion. Um, I think the world of sports is definitely changing in front of our eyes, uh, for better or for worse. It's it's a it's an interesting dynamic, so I guess we'll get right into it. Um, there have been so in the NBA there were I guess protests, boycotts of uh, basketball games. Um, for there was a another police shooting. Uh, interesting details about that and. Uh, now, and uh, some some MLB some MLB teams uh, took part in some boycotts. The Milwaukee Brewers uh, Cincinnati Reds game last night was postponed. The Dodgers uh, Giants game last night was postponed, and the Padres Mariners game uh, was also postponed. I, I think that was it, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, an interesting thing. Uh, happening last night. Uh, what what were you, your thoughts on it? Well, the first thing is, I mean, what, regardless of what your opinion is on this, what we're seeing right now is historic. Like, this is off the charts. Like, I mean, sports willingly getting canceled uh, when they didn't necessarily have to. I mean, you know, when COVID canceled sports, like, that was – you had to do that. Like, that was just, you know, for safety reasons – this is the player's choice. This is the players saying, hey, this sports are, are not as important as what's going on in the world right now with police brutality, uh, with systemic racism still, you know, being a major part of this country. Sports are not important right now. And we even if it's, you know, in basketball, in the playoffs, we need to walk out for a minute here and bring more attention to this. And I think a lot of people have to understand that, you know, professional athletes are people too like you know in, in the grand scheme of things you know the average person sees the professional athlete as a tool for their entertainment like the, like i i use my time to watch them and and you know they have their talents they're really good at basketball they're really good at baseball whatever sport they play they're really good at it and i have a fun time watching them and they are people too they are just like you and me chris they're just like the average listener. They go through a lot more than what we see on the field. And they have problems in their life, regardless of if they make a lot of money or not. That's not everything. And a lot of them are people of color, whether they are, you know, obviously the main uh, subject right now is black Americans. Uh, and that's sort of 
you know, the big issue right now because of how a lot of them are still treated in today's society by people of power. And one thing that professional athletes have that a very, very minuscule amount of people have in real life is a platform. You know, if they want to get a message out there, they have the audience and they have the power to actually do that, which is, you know, something that so few people in this world have. And they are using that platform uh, to spread the message, whether you like it or not, that is what's happening. And I think it's really important that we take a minute, put our, you know, put our sports aside and really understand what the issue is. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely historic. We've definitely never seen uh, this type of stuff happen before, um, especially in a professional sport and not, you know, maybe the, like uh, the Olympics, Olympics, it might happen a little more, but you know, in major league baseball, especially, and yes, it, it is the player's right to, you know, protest, boycott, especially peacefully. The timing of it is incredibly weird because the, the most recent shooting, um, it's, it's weird that this is the hill that that's kind of being uh, died upon. I mean, it was a it was a guy who, like it or not, he was walking away from the police uh, under a warranted arrest. He opened a car. There was a knife in the car, and it's it's weird to me that this is the hill that's being died upon. I think people aren't really looking at the facts. I think that they are seeing that it was a police shooting, but I mean, there are examples of there being very unjust police shootings, but it's, it's weird that it's, it's kind of weird to me that, that this is the hill that's being died upon. So I will, you know, I will, I understand that. And what I'm going to say is this is, you know, this is not the one that this is, I guess this is the straw that broke the camel's back. But this is not the first time it's happened. It's probably not going to be the last time it's happened. And, you know, we've seen over the past few months, there have been countless cases of, of unjust police brutality, uh, you know, in the world. I mean, you could go down the list forever. And, you know, a lot of the reason this is getting attention is because it's filmed. You know, I mean, the ones that aren't filmed aren't going to get as much attention. That's why George Floyd was such a huge case. That's why Ahmaud Aubrey was such a huge case. And that's why Jacob Blake is the huge case. And to your point about, uh, you know, him being on a warrant arrest, having prior allegations, nobody is saying that Jacob Blake was a, is a good person. He's still alive. Nobody is saying he's a good person. Nobody is saying that, that what he did was right. And nobody is saying that, you know, the allegations against him are, are wrong and he's innocent. That's a fact. And if those facts end up being true, then yeah, he deserves to be in jail for what he did. The issue is getting shot seven times in the back in front of his children and not getting a fair trial because I feel like that is the right in America is everyone deserves a fair trial whether or not you are you know obviously guilty whether you're not you know you were framed whatever you know I think the idea is you should have a free trial and that's not exactly what's going to happen to Jacob Blake and that's I think what people are looking at as the issue it's not necessarily you know oh like who cares if he got shot because he was a bad person it's it's like yeah no probably not the best of people, but not that, you know, I don't think it, it justifies seven times, you know, seven rounds in the back. Well, the, the, the argument against that is he, 
he opened a car where <clears throat> police had no idea uh, what was in that car. It could have been anything. There happened to be a knife in the car. He could have used that uh, against the police. And ultimately, the police have to assume the worst there. But I mean, I know it's not a it's not a political show, but baseball has become a political sport now. And you kind of have to address these things. And it's it's somewhat it's somewhat disappointing that things can get so misconstrued especially by the especially by the media um i mean yeah they if i if i'm resisting arrest and i open a car where where no one knows what's in that car i expect i expect to have force used against me and i i wouldn't be surprised sure, if sure, sure. shots were coming like, at me sure. shots in the back like seven, like one is not enough. You have to go seven. Yeah, well, you could you could get shot and you can still get a possible gun. They didn't know that it was that it was just a knife. But they didn't know that. He, okay. Yeah, I mean, I I just I I don't understand it. I, I mean, uh, I understand that there there are boycotts, and I understand that it's the player's right to boycott. Um, and I understand that there's been a, an issue uh, happening um, and it's been definitely emphasized in the year 2020. And yeah, it's the, ultimately it's the player's right to really do whatever they want. Um, and, you know, whatever, whatever message it is, uh, it's ultimately a pretty positive message, but uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 it came out as, somewhat weird to me um uh, it's uh yeah it came out as, as pretty weird to me but I, I i'm definitely the unpopular opinion in sports media um not a lot of people want to want to talk about these things but uh in 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 a when politics are being you know brought into the sport you have to talk about these things and uh you know we're a baseball show so now we have to uh talk about the things that are postponing these games but anyway back to some on the field things uh ian anderson ian anderson can i make a few like what Chris, can i just make a few points real quick like just to just final yeah, thoughts go right, go right ahead one thing that I really took away from this one of the more sort of vocal people uh in the whole thing I mean obviously you know the Brewers are the first team to decide not to play and you know understandably so like it happened you know in their city and you know they kind of took inspiration from the Milwaukee Bucks who were the first NBA team uh to boycott and someone who was speaking up was Josh Hader and, you know, if you know Josh Hader's history, you know, you'll remember, you know, all the, all the tweets that resurfaced a few years ago from, uh, from 2012, 2013, you know, he was being, you know, blatantly racist in those tweets, whether he meant it or not, like he put it out there and it got out to the world and his image uh, did alter a bit, but he, he was speaking up and he said, uh, he had a quote on the Bucks uh, boycott. He said, quote, I think it's a tremendous stand. This says more about sports. And he also said, I'm sure, you know, 
as if the Brewers are going to boycott, they did. And he, he said, I'm sure it's something we're going to discuss. Um, you know, I think it's huge that a guy like him who has that sort of reputation is able to show that he has changed and show that he is an ally. Uh, so, I mean, that is obviously very cool to see. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, they have the most, they have the most black people in the league. Uh, they have the most black Americans in the major leagues. They have more than any other team. Um, so I understand them uh, wanting to do it. And then the Dodgers and Padres, uh, they were a late game, so they did have more time to decide, and they ultimately made that decision as well. And one last thing, you know, this isn't going to end racism. Like, you know, a few people deciding not to play basketball, deciding not to play baseball, isn't going to be the end of it. And is it a step in the right direction? It could be. But I think it is, a, you know, it has a better chance of, of being a step in the right direction than playing through it and, act, and acting like nothing's happening. So I think that is another uh, big motive for a lot of these people is that, you know, they want to, we want to see change. This keeps happening. It's been happening for years and years and years, well before we were alive, Chris. And, you know, it's the, the most recent case of it was this week. And we want, you know, these people want to see change. And that's, you know, if it means you have to sacrifice your job, whether in, in sports, you know, these people are passionate enough and they want to see it. So this is what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, of, of course, definitely. It's, uh, you know, as, even as, as a player, as an employee, you, you have your personal freedoms. Um, but, I mean, one thing, if, if it's a continued thing, I mean, I, I um, you know, like it or not, uh, you, you look at the NBA and how the players have been um, very vocal uh, yeah. about issues uh, over the past summer. But I think it's, it's turned off some viewers because they view it because the viewers want to have a distraction. So, you know, it is the player's right to speak up, but it, it could play, it could play a role in, you know, a possible decline in viewership because people, you know, you, whether, whether you want, whether you, uh, you know, whether it's right for players to have to be political on the field or not, it's probably, it is, it is probably right for them to have a voice on the field. It, it still, you know, turns off a lot of viewers and it, it might see a slight decline um, in viewers if, if this is a continued thing. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, it might, you know, it might turn off some people. Uh, and I mean, I don't think realistically, I don't think that the amount of people it's going to turn off is going to like bankrupt any league. Like I still think there's going to be plenty of people like the MLB is literally setting records in revenue every year. Uh, I don't think that the amount of people turning off is going to, you know, be detrimental uh, to the economy of the league. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, yes, yeah, sports are our distraction from the real world. Like that is, that is what sports are, but you know, some things maybe we shouldn't have distractions from like, maybe like some things, this is bigger than sports. This is bigger than baseball, bigger than basketball. This is bigger than any sport out there. And the players are using their voice uh, to be heard because they have this platform that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, so few people have uh, as a way to try and bring change. Yeah. Ultimately it's about, about the personal freedom of the players 
um you know i i do wonder a little bit how like a guy who hasn't made the majors yet and um is like at an alternate site right now how they might feel but i think they i think a lot of them you know would want to protest that night too um but it it is an interesting uh interesting dynamic but it's tough that, it's tough that there's no minor leagues for that yeah if you want to be on the field making a statement, you know, you don't have the minor leagues as an outlet to do that. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly, exactly. But more on the field, uh, more on the field stuff. Ian Anderson of the 518 That's makes right. a debut, has a very, an, an, an incredible debut against the Bronx Bombers. It was, it was a bit of a broken Bronx Bombers lineup, but nonetheless, Ian Anderson, six innings pitched, one hit, one earned run. The one hit was a home run to Luke Voigt, three wa- or two walks, uh, including a hit batsman, also hit batsman, and six strikeouts. Awesome job from the kid from Shenandoah High School, the number three overall pick in the 2016 draft. I've been following this kid since he was in high school. Uh, it's obviously so cool to see someone, especially from the area, you know, obviously I have local news uh, on my, on my Twitter as well as regular baseball stuff. So I've been, see- I saw plenty of Ian Anderson stuff from, you know, Albany people to, you know, national people, which is, you know, it's such an amazing thing to see uh, from someone you've been following for so long. Uh, and as you know, I've been hyping this guy up for a long time. He was my guy to watch on the Braves. I've been referencing him a few times throughout the season you know, uh, pleading for his call-up. It finally happened. He faced Garrett Cole, and he beat him. He beat Garrett Cole. Like, regardless of who was in the lineup, you know, I get it, Judge Stanton, LeMahieu, you know, Torres, all of them are out. He still beat Garrett Cole. That is a $324 million man. That is arguably the best pitcher in baseball. And Ian Anderson beat him. He broke his 20-game win streak, 28 starts in a row without a win. See ya. Ian Anderson from the 518 doing the damn thing in his major league debut. Amazing to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely incredible to see there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, even, even if it's an injured lineup, I, I, you still have some, uh, there's still some guys in there that can, that can do damage, you know, Gio Urshela, Luke Voigt, uh, that, that, the Yankees injured is still better than a lot of uh, major league lineups. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it was a double header, so I, so I was really looking at uh, maybe a complete game because uh, he had a no hitter going through I think five and a third innings, and uh, it wouldn't have counted anyway. Major League Baseball doesn't recognize a seven inning no hitter as an official no hitter, which is fair. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I, I, you know, if he did end up getting it, I could still just go on to saying he no hit the Yankees, whether it was through nine or not. And like he, he no hit them. Like he, he went six innings, did not, which I guess that means, I mean, I guess that means it's up for loop, loose interpretation. Like if a reliever comes in and throws a one, two, three inning, I guess he no hit a team too. Um, but, you know, you do it for a complete game. Uh, that would have been cool, but he did end up uh, giving up a home run to Luke Voigt. The only hit he allowed was a home run, uh, which was awesome. I mean, whether or not you want to look at the Yankees lineup, one hit in six innings pitched really good against any lineup, quite frankly, uh, whether it's the broken Yankees or not. He still looked really impressive. Uh, 
you know, would like to see the walks get down. He was working, he was living down low in the zone a lot. Uh, all of his off speed was, was kind of low, uh, his fastballs as well. Uh, which I mean, Hey, it looked really awesome. Uh, it was cool to see as someone from this area who's grown up, you know, in an area that doesn't produce a lot of baseball players to see one of them come up as a highly touted prospect from the very beginning and dominate the New York Yankees looked awesome. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he walked only, I mean, he only walked two guys. He walked two and hit a third. Okay. So yeah, he, he walked, you know, he only gave up four base runners still. Mm -hmm. I mean, quite, quite unbelievable uh, from, from Ian Anderson. And, you know, that's, that's someone who, you know, the Braves, the Braves uh, rotation has struggled, you know, outside of Max Fried, they've been one of the worst rotations in baseball yeah. because largely because of that Mike Soroka injury. And but also Mike Fulton wasn't helping them either. Uh, Mike Fulton. Yeah. And Mike Fulton Evich um, getting sent down because of his fastball velocity. Um, and, uh, and now you have Ian Anderson who uh, he was a top 50, you know, coming up, top 50 uh, prospect in all of baseball. And uh, he's, he's looking like one right now. Yeah. I mean, he was the number 42 overall prospect heading into uh, today or into yesterday, rather, uh, according to MLB.com. And uh, I had a nug. Uh, He is the first pitcher in Braves history to allow one or less hits uh, in five or more innings pitched in a major league debut. All right. Uh, so yeah, let's. Uh, I, that was a surprise. How about that? Uh, whatever you want to get that one pulled up. That's right. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was definitely the highlight of yesterday for me uh, as far as watching baseball goes. The Red Sox did not do any do any favors for me yesterday. Uh, they lost nine to one. So, uh, seeing seeing a local kid. By the way, Ian Anderson grew up a Red Sox fan too. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty that's pretty funny. I mean, it, it checks out. There are Red Sox fans uh up there. There are confirmed Red Sox fans uh, in upstate New York. I'm one of them. Um, but yeah, Ian Anderson grew up about twenty to thirty minutes from where I live. Uh, and he made. It, I, I don't know him personally. Obviously, maybe maybe the, maybe we can get him on. Yeah. At some point, cool. Maybe I can get his attention on Twitter because I've been very vocal about him on Twitter, as you've seen, Chris. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was that was fun to watch, and I'm really, I'm really hoping he can continue and maybe just maybe put himself in the Rookie of the Year voting. Maybe just put himself in there. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, probably um, make like five or six starts. If he can, if he can do that five more times, he's in the conversation. Yeah, I mean. Um, we're uh we're doing midseason awards today and you know the the national league yes. the national league uh class of rookies isn't uh too deep there are there is one particular guy that's doing spectacular but uh Ian Anderson can get can get right up there so you mentioned that uh if he if he went 7 innings and no hits allowed, that wouldn't be a no-hitter. He wouldn't be like Lucas Giolito, who actually had a no-hitter on Tuesday night. Lucas Giolito 
that's right. A no-hitter against the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, on on Tuesday night. Uh, I, it's funny because I uh, one of my over-unders this year was over-under 0.5 individual no-hitters. Uh, Daniel guessed over, and he was correct already. Uh, Lucas Giolito uh, nailing that over-under there. Uh, yeah. 13 strikeouts, by the way. That is uh, pretty impressive for a no-hitter because, you know, usually in a no-hitter, you want your pitch count down, and strikeouts are kind of going to bring them up because, you'd, you know, as far as pitch count, you'd rather have a one pitch out. Uh, strikeouts, you have to throw at least three. So 13 strikeouts. He had 101 pitches, I believe. Uh, so he was absolutely carving up that lineup. Only one walk was the only base runner to Eric Gonzalez, uh, the leadoff guy in the fourth inning. Um, I mean, if you were wa- – I watched the last three innings of it. He was dominating. Like, he was getting ahead. I mean, he was put it, making guys uncomfortable. Uh, like, when he, hit, when he was in the ninth and it was 8-9-1 coming up, I was like, all right, 90% chance he gets it. Like, he's got to get it. And he did. Yeah, but, you know, there, the last out was incredibly scary. Uh, it yeah, was- he got uh, – my heart sank on that one. Yeah, it was a uh, – I think it was a 1-2 fastball, caught some plate. It was a line drive hit, I believe, 102.6 miles per hour. And yep. it had uh, – on StatCast, this is according to Baseball Savant, had an expected batting average of uh, 850, meaning that there was an 85% chance it was going to be a hit. But uh, Adam a- Angle uh, got to it. Yeah, I mean, I thank God he was in right field because he's a really good defensive player. Uh, their everyday right fielder is, I think, Nomar Mazzara. Uh, you know, not that he's by any means bad, but, I mean, Adam Engel is a much better defensive player. Um, Lucas Giolito, over his last two starts, uh, 16 innings pitched, three hits, two walks, a zero ERA. Um, he's doing really well. Uh, because his last time out before that against Detroit, he went seven innings pitched, three hits, no runs, one walk, 13 strikeouts as well. So that's 26 strikeouts over his last 16 innings pitched for Giolito. Yeah, because Giolito, uh, I think he had a somewhat rough. He had a very rough start. First couple starts of the year were, were kind of rough, and it wasn't looking good for him. But now he's, I think he's put himself, he shot up the um, the wins above replacement leaderboards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On, at least on fan graphs and probably a baseball reference too. Yeah. He's been, um, he's been dominant as of late and probably part of the reason that the white Sox are so hot right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you look at the lineup and they've obviously been producing, but to have an ACE like Giolito going out there every fifth day and Dallas Keuchel has looked very good too. Uh, he is a two seven ERA. Um, also Dylan Cease, he's been turning it on. Like, this is earlier than I expected from him because usually it takes these guys, you know, a couple of years. Dylan Cease came up last year. He struggled, and that's okay. In his age 24 season, a 3-1-3 ERA, uh, he does have a 5-9-7 FIP. So, I guess, I guess maybe he is due for regression. But, you know, you got to appreciate what he's doing right now, even if, you know, he might cool down a little bit. Yeah, D- Dylan Cease, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little weird on because um, he's, he, is my, uh, he was my player to look for. But I don't want to take too much credit yet because I I see that he yeah. might he might regress a little bit. Um, I I thought he would get 
I thought he would be more of a, a strikeout guy. I think right now he's at about like six strikeouts per nine. Last year he was at over ten strikeouts per nine. But but the uh, the results on the field um, for him thus far really put the White Sox yeah. in the right direction. But yeah, Giolito, um, the first White Sox no hitter since Burley. Is that right? Uh, Philip Humber. Oh, Philip Humber. That's right. He threw the he threw the perfect game in the month. By the way, he had like a four plus, like a four eighty, like something ERA that month, that month alone in April, and he just randomly fit a perfect game in there against the Mariners. Yeah, he had. That's he might be the worst pitcher to get a perfect game. Philip Humber. Like, Him and Dallas Braden. <laughs> Dallas Braden was probably better than Philip Humber. He probably was. He probably was. But I mean, he was also throwing. He was also topping out at eighty-eight miles an hour. Yeah. Because <laughs> they always, you know, you know, okay. So Dallas Braden hosts a uh, barstool sports podcast called Starting Nine, a uh, baseball show. It's very good, um, and they always joke about his his velocity on the show. And uh, a couple months ago, they were doing the uh, the all time like like build a perfect pitcher draft where it was like you get this person's fastball, this person's changeup, this person's slider, whatever. And uh, Jared was talking about Dallas's fastball. He goes, Dallas Braden's fastball, uh, not to be confused with Dallas Braden's changeup. <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. Philip Humber, uh, 0.9 baseball reference war career. Nice. <laughs> Dallas definitely had more than that. Um, yeah, he, had, he was in the sixes. Giolito, uh, one of my favorite pitcher stats is uh, game score. Uh, it's a, you know, I referenced it a lot in the uh, 01 back show. Uh, Chris, what episode was that? Uh, episode 37, part two. Part two. Yeah, because they, I mean, Randy Johnson and, and Kurt Schilling were both kings of the, uh, the game score, uh, mostly because they, they account for high strikeout games. But Giolito put up a game score of 99. Uh, which was the best uh, this year so far. Uh, it was the best anyone has put up since Justin Verlander's no-hitter in September of last year. Um, it is the best uh, game score for a White Sox pitcher since 1974 when Wilbur Wood pitched 11 innings uh, and allowed two hits on four walks and 10 strikeouts. The, first, the last time anyone had a 99 in a nine-inning game for the White Sox, never. Giolito's the first to do it. You could argue this is the That's right. Uh, Lucas Giolito, one of the most dominating performances in White Sox history, you could argue. I mean, one walk over 13 strikeouts and a no-hitter through nine, pretty good. Yeah, the the one walk, no-hitter, I mean, uh, yeah, that's a dominant performance. The, the one walk, hitter, no-hitter is a very dominant performance, especially uh, if you have – 13 strikeouts because I know um I mean that this wasn't an, a no hitter but you know Kerry Woods uh 1998 performance that's the that's the best for a nine inning game uh out there and he he allowed just one base runner so another case where only one base runner was allowed so and also the uh the strikeouts help a lot. So that's going to, that's going to bring up that game score. Yeah. He had, he had an unbelievable day uh, yeah. on Tuesday. So that was awesome. 
some, I guess, bad news uh, coming out of New York once again. Uh, Aaron Judge is experiencing some calf tightness once again after saying that he didn't want to go on the IL in the first place previously with a strained calf. And now apparently there's some calf tightness once again. Yeah, uh, so he was taken out of the game in the second end of the doubleheader uh, on Wednesday. He didn't play the first end, so when he came out, you know it's not good because, I mean, the Yankees, you know, he's been on, he's been resting for a while on the IL. The Yankees hadn't played for a while because they got caught up in the Mets' COVID cases. Uh, so in theory, there's no reason, you know, they're just taking him out to rest. Uh, so you know something has to be wrong when they take him out in the middle of a game, in a one nothing game, mind you. Uh, so, you know, they very much need him to be there. Um, Aaron Boone said that uh, an MRI is possible. He also said that an IL stint is possible. And be, this being the third season of Aaron Boone, uh, you know, something being possible in this scenario uh, loosely translates to it's probably going to happen, which really sucks. I mean, the Yankees have lost five in a row. Uh, you know, you'd love to see that AL East, AL East be competitive with the Rays playing the way that they are. They're up two game, They're up two and a half games right now. Uh, and, you know, you always want to beat someone at, at their best. And you, can, you simply cannot do that with the Yankees if Aaron Judge is not there. That is the heart and soul of that team, uh, the best player, the face of the franchise, arguably the face of baseball. Um, that's that's a guy that you want to see in there, uh, especially just as a baseball fan perspective. Like there is nothing to dislike about Aaron Judge other than he plays for the Yankees, and which is out of his control. Like if he was on any other team, he would probably be the most beloved player. You could argue, like he'd be right up there with Mike Trout. Uh, and you know if he could stay on the field, like we could be looking at, you know, one of the, one of the best peaks ever. I mean, like for someone who has only played a few seasons and has uh, over a hundred, I think 119 career home runs, I want to say, like he's gotten there really quickly. Uh, and it sucks to see him not be able to stay on the field. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely terrible. It's a, it's a, it's an absolute travesty. Uh, I mean, he he arguably uh, there's there's arguments that he should have actually won that 2017 MVP as a rookie. Um, yeah. You know, he had a he had a higher OPS. I think he had higher uh, wins above replacement that year. I think uh, definitely Fangraphs WAR. I'm not sure Baseball Reference WAR. Um, I think Altuve had you know. Altuve had win probability added, though. And he was more consistent. Like, Aaron Judge that season also had the 37-game strikeout streak. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was consistency, and uh, a lot of Judge's um, home runs came at weird times. Uh, so he, he wasn't – I don't think he was even in the top 10 for win probability added, uh, which is kind of weird when you're that good. Win probability uh, added can be very skewed, though. It can be, but I think – over over a 162 game season, yeah. uh, you're going to get your opportunities, and especially he was on a team that won uh, 90, 90 games. something 91 games. games. 91 so, games. Yeah, so you'd uh, you'd think that there, you know, there's opportunities to improve the win probability when you're on a team that uh, made the playoffs. But I mean, it's still it's still very. Uh, it was still a very debatable 
MVP race. And now, you know, 2018 had some bad luck. He got hit by a pitch um, yeah. and uh, hurt his forearm. You can't do anything about that. That's just bad luck. But you can't blame him for being injury prone for that. And then 2019, uh, there's the, the strained oblique that keeps him out 50, 60 games, um, which was pretty alarming. Um, and now it's this uh, calf tightness. You know, I, we've talked about this before. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty scared when a guy who's 280 pounds, not a lot of fat on the body is, you know, getting injured doing basic baseball activities. Uh, it's, it's very alarming. You don't want to see it. I, I don't know how you um, fix that. I mean, Giancarlo Stanton lost a bunch of weight, and he's still injured uh, this season. So, you know, I don't, I, mean, know, I don't know how this gets fixed. You know, I think you do have to look at the Yankees training staff because this is the second year in a row now that the entire team has caught the injury bug. Like, you know, when one guy, when one guy on a team gets consistently injured, you know, you might look at him particularly. But when it's happening to an entire team, you might want to look at your training staff. You know, there is, you know, there is legitimate concern there because the Yankees just keep getting injured. This happened last year as well. Didn't the Yankees have like the most people on the IL last year? Wasn't that a thing? Yeah. I mean, that's all you could hear about. Yeah. I mean, I think Aaron Judge is sort of a, an individual scapegoat because his size, you know, and the fact that he's playing an athletic centered position, you know, you can't just, you know, you always look at like all the, the bigger baseball players in mass, you know, they're all like, you know, pitchers, maybe catchers, DHs, first baseman, third baseman. You almost never see him in the outfield. And that's what Aaron judge does. And he's a very good defensive outfielder, albeit. Uh, but I mean, you know, the fact that he keeps getting injured is a cause for concern, whether it be because of, you know, just himself or the Yankees training staff. Uh, what do you think is the possibility that at some point we could see him as a full-time DH in the next, like, five years? Um, I mean, if it keeps happening, it might be their uh, their only option. The, the only caveat there is you have – Giancarlo Stanton under contract for eight more years after this. Yeah. Yeah. And lost some weight though. Yeah. Stanton has lost some weight, but he has also uh, been on the IL longer than uh, Aaron judge has this year. Um, and last year. Too. And last year. <clears throat> so he was a guy that was taken out of the outfield, put in the DH spot and there's still some issue, but you know, Aaron judge might be different. But yeah, the training staff has to get looked at. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just Judge and Stanton last year either. Uh, Aaron Hicks had some injury problems. Um, uh, D.D. Gregorius, I think that was an elbow issue. So I don't know if that's the training staff. I think that's just overuse of the arm. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there were so many guys that saw the IL. I mean, Luis Severino has ha- had problems for. Yeah. Oh my God, he hasn't been healthy, and people forget like how good he is when healthy. Yeah, he's had problems forever. Um, like he know. was he was legitimately in the Cy Young. He was a perennial Cy Young candidate before he started getting hurt. Yeah, he. I mean, he was third. He was third in uh, 2017, and uh, he was like right up there with Chris Sale in, in the beginning of 2018. Yeah, 2018. You know, midseason awards. He was a lot of a lot of people's picks for yeah. like midseason Cy Young, and then. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he started to struggle and he started to get injured too. 
yeah. I mean, if the Yankees don't go to the World Series with this core, I'm not saying win it, but if you don't go to it, like, that's a shame. Like, I honestly, even as a Red Sox fan, like, I feel bad, and I think a lot of it can be drawn to injury at this point uh, with Severino. You know, he's, he's getting Tommy John, so hopefully Tommy John is, you know, supposed to be the end of things. I hope that ends up being true. Aaron Judge, uh, I don't know how you're supposed to fix whatever he's got going on. Same with Stanton. You hope that LeMay – I mean, LeMay, he was a thumb injury, uh, so that shouldn't be uh, a reoccurring thing. And Torres, I mean, Torres, you just have to hope he is okay because he's super young. He's only 23. Uh, and, you know, if you saw that the play he got injured on, he kind of like rolled his ankle or whatever on a play uh, or something like that uh, that looks like, you know, it was a knee problem. Uh, so you, you hope that that doesn't continue for him, especially at that age. Um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, the, the Glaber Torres, the Glaber Torres and DJ LeMahieu injuries are a little optimistic on because it's yeah. it's from a particular event. When it's when it's developed from, um, you know, a swing or just being in being in the field, uh, that's no that's concern. when it's really alarming. Um, then you have James Paxton who's on the IL. Tommy Tommy Canley's getting Tommy John. Uh, Zach Britton just went on the IL. Uh, so the Yankees they have the injury bug going. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, because not ev- not everyone on that team, as you mentioned, not everyone on that team is is six foot seven, two hundred eighty pounds. Uh, most of them are are normal size, and a lot of them are still getting injured. So. And you need- guys back too like the Yankees they're not going to win the World Series with Mike Ford as their cleanup hitter yeah they they can't I mean they're uh now they're nine and 11 against teams that aren't the Red Sox exactly and especially with the expanded playoff like there's there's much more opportunity you know to lose out uh you know there's more teams that have a chance of taking you down you know with the expanded playoff it's it's going to be the road to the World Series is going to be harder for everyone uh you know, you, you might face lesser quality of teams, but there's more rounds you have to go through and there's more chances you have to have a one or two bad games and lose out because that's all it takes in the playoffs is one or two bad games. Um, and that could spiral the whole thing. And if you're the Yankees, you know, you can't just rely on Garrett Cole to be your starting rotation. You know, he gave up three home runs yesterday against a really good team. Who's to say he can't do that in the playoffs? You know, James Paxson, uh, he was looking very – he was looking uh, – very bleak before he got injured so you hope that the injury was the issue there uh he wasn't going very far into games uh to begin with and he was giving up a lot of runs obviously uh and then i mean tanaka tanaka's looked good but they took him out after 66 pitches yesterday and allowed for chad green who hadn't pitched in 10 days to give up the go-ahead home run to freddie freeman uh which was very questionable on uh on boone's path uh you know i mean the Yankees, the Yankees are World Series or bust. Like that is a fact. Like this team has no excuses not to go, not, not to at least go to the World Series, and they're the last team that can afford to have these injuries. Yeah, they've been. Uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been it's been pretty bad. Yeah, like you say, you can't just you can't rely. Garrett Cole can't start every game for you. Uh, I know. Tanaka is pretty good, especially in the in the postseason. He's been pretty good, but you know you have Cole, Tanaka, Paxton is on the IL. Uh, are you going to be relying on Jordan Montgomery? Uh, I don't think that's a, a situation the Yankees fan Yankees fans want. 
and the starting pitcher market, like we mentioned on uh, last episode, not very great. Bad. Very yeah. bad. But yeah, the uh, the Aaron Judge injury is um, a, a nightmare for for Yankees fans once again. But yeah, that's 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 the Aaron Judge news. That's the Yankees situation still an, an alarming situation, um, especially with a, for a team that had very high expectations uh, coming into the season. But now we transition into our mid-season awards. We're going to be doing uh, ALNL Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, um, the uh, Cy Young, and the MVP. Yep. Uh, it's uh, middle of the season. It's been about been about a month. Uh, I think teams are starting. Mm-hmm. A lot of teams have started to hit thirty games. It's it's weird to mark halfway points, especially when the Cardinals have only <laughs> played like twenty games. Something like that. Yeah. It's very weird. The Cardinals are, man, they're going to have to make up. I mean, they have a doubleheader today. They're going to be, I mean, and Jack Flaherty uh, is, is uh, protesting. Like he decided to take a leave uh, because of this. And, you know, obviously, you know, you respect his decision, but in a, in a stretch like this, like you kind of, you know, it sucks to not have a guy like that. And I don't know how long he's going to be out for. I'm assuming it's only, it's only like a couple days. Uh, but I mean, I guess you don't know at this point, it could, you know, something else could happen today and it could be a more extended thing. You never know. And obviously, you know, I respect Jack Flaherty's decision. You know, it's his right to do what he wants. And, you know, he has been very vocal about this throughout the entire time. Uh, but, you know, the Cardinals, I mean, not having him sets up a lot of question marks, whether regardless of how long it is. Yeah, very much so. That's, you know, the Cardinals are a pretty top-heavy rotation. It's like, kind of Jack Flaherty and what I would say was very good a uh who Jack or uh, uh, Adam Wainwright yeah I mean but from last year it was Jack Flaherty Jack Flaherty had an ERA below three and then it was like Wainwright uh Michaelis and um, Dakota Hudson was the fourth the seven nine fifth this season yeah like, Dakota he still has Hudson. major issues uh, which have always been a thing. I get the walks are a little bit down this year, which is encouraging. I mean, last year he literally led the league in walks. Uh, he led the major leagues in walks. Uh, he has seven walks over 19 innings pitched, which is not bad at all. Uh, 13 hits allowed, seven earned runs, a three, three, two ERA. Very good. So, I mean, I think Dakota Hudson has been better. Uh, I mean, I know it, it, it's so weird to say because he has a three, two, six career ERA, uh, but the walks have always been an issue. Uh, but it looks like it looks like he is turning a corner, which is encouraging. Yeah, I I haven't checked. Uh, I haven't kept the pulse on Dakota Hudson. He was a guy. Three point three walks for nine innings, uh, as opposed to four point four last year. ERA plus one thirty three. But I mean, kind of obviously because he is a he is a three two two ERA. The run prevention has always been very good, but his FIP and his his. Uh, projected statistics have always been a concern yeah uh i mean looking right now he's uh he's in the 55th per- 55th percentile for expected batting average and 36th percentile for expected slugging um 44th percentile for ex- expected woba so um you know i i mean some some guys just 
can just consistently outperform their expected statistics. Fernando Tatis Jr. is kind of one of those guys. He's he's yeah. uh, he's out he outdid it last year, and I think uh, to start the year he was outperforming his expected statistics consistently. It was weird. But I mean, the question is, can that work on a larger scale? Yeah, you it know, is like... a question. But Fernando Tatis Jr. he's he's up for an award for a midseason award. Uh, but we are going to start with the American League Rookie of the Year. Um, for me, for for me, it's kind of a, and probably for both of us, it's kind of a clear. There's kind of a, one clear guy, yeah. and there's been uh, two guys who have been, or a couple, a few guys that have been pretty excellent in the American League in terms of rookies. Mm-hmm. But I think the best one this year has been Kyle Lewis. He's Correct. hitting 360 with a 10.14 OPS. He leads all qualified rookies in average on base percentage and OPS, and he leads all rookies in wins above replacement. Yeah, I mean, he is tied for fifth in the majors in wins above replacement, according to fan graphs of the 1.7. Uh, a 443 Woba with a 182 weighted runs created plus. Uh, Kyle Lewis looking really good for the Seattle Mariners. Um, and this team, I mean, they have a future, right? I mean, you know, you got Kalanick in the minors. Uh, Justice Sheffield has been has looked better over his last couple starts. Um, you got uh, Justin Dunn, who has started a couple games this year. Uh, hasn't really figured it out yet, but he's got time. He's developing. Uh, the, you know, Seattle might be a team to watch over the next couple of years, uh, you know, if they can start to develop more players. And Kyle Lewis is going to be at the forefront of all that. And he is, uh, at this point, the American League Rookie of the Year. Yeah, and the Mariners, um, they'll get, you know, Sometimes they'll get flack for being somewhat cheap, but when they when they've wanted to be competitive, they have opened the book the book sometimes. I mean they've they executed. They uh they extended Felix Hernandez for hundred seventy five million dollars uh you know seven or eight years ago. So hundred seventy five million dollars back then was a lot more. They signed Nelson Cruz for four years, uh, at a point. Yeah, for four years. And, um, you know, I think they, when they feel like they're not competitive, they will empty the uh, payroll. But once, you know, Kyle Lewis, Kalenic, Sheffield get going, uh, this is a team that might be looking to, to spend later on. I hope so. I mean, you know, you talk about the Mariners, you obviously have to look at, you know, the curse. They haven't made the playoffs since 2001. And a lot of that is kind of just on the on-field execution. Like, it's, it's not necessarily – you know, the front office making a bad move here or there. It's sort of just like, you know, something will always happen. Like they will get unlucky. They will lose out. You know, they will, they will lose a bunch of games at the end of a season. They will have one team that goes on a random streak. Uh, Something will always happen every year seemingly, but hopefully Kyle Lewis is part of the group to finally bring them to the promised land. Yes. And uh, we'll, we'll do a a snake, a snake thing. So you can so we can both reveal. Uh, so who is your National League Rookie of the Year? My National League Rookie of the Year is a guy who I have previously highlighted in a How About That, uh, and it is Rake Cronenworth of <laughs> San Diego Padres. He is hitting four, 342 with a 402 OBP, 608 slugging for a 1010 OPS, 424 Woba, 172 weighted runs created, plus 1.1 wins above replacement. He was part of the Slam Diego surge uh, in the past week for the Padres. Jake Cronenworth, 
the National League Rookie of the Year at this point. Yes, I also have Jake Cronenworth because, I mean, that's that's the only option. He's just been that good. Yeah, 10-10 OPS. Uh, one, thing, one thing I will add, uh, with runners in scoring position, he's hitting 412, um, uh, which I – Love to see that. I always, I always like to reference the, uh, the runners in scoring position. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, 412 with runners in scoring position is uh, something I'm going to cherish. And I, I'm looking at this stat. I wrote it down last night, and I'm looking to see if it's still true. Yep, it's still true. Uh, he has twice as much – twice as many wins above replacement as the next best – uh, National League rookie position player. So that's how above and beyond he's been as a National League rookie. Love to see it. From a guy who played 500 career games in the minors, that's awesome to see. Yeah, very, very good to see. So that leads into our managers of the year. These are, you know, very, very, very subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, a, they're an award that's happening. And, you know, hey, it's Why fun not? to see. It's, it's fun to, to kind of look at which teams are kind of over uh, overperforming. So my American League Manager of the Year is actually a guy who I picked would be the American League Manager of the Year before the season. I'm talking about Kevin Cash. So not only does he have a 21-11 and 11 record in a division where the Yankees were expected to win, but he's done this with injuries to Charlie Morton, Yanni Chirinos, Nick Anderson, Jose Alvarado, Chaz Rowe, and Oliver Drake. That's six pitchers, uh, four of which are part of that, you know, giant mega bullpen, and he's still been able to find a way to uh, to win these games. Yeah, so my, my manager of the year for the AL is also Kevin Cash. Uh, I mean, I feel like that's really the only correct option at this point uh, so far. You know, you mentioned the, uh, the injury bug with the Rays. Um, they have, hold on a second. They have 21 wins this season. Okay, yeah. I just wanted to check the stat. They have 21 wins. They have 14 different pitchers who have recorded wins. Wow. Yeah. How about that? That's right. Uh, Blake Snell has two wins. Chaz Rowe has two. Diego Castillo has two. Aaron Loop has three. Pete Fairbanks has three. And then everyone else down the list has one. Uh, but yeah, they've been getting contributions from everyone on the pitching staff. They actually have no qualified starters, uh, which is interesting, but they have one of the best bullpens and they have continuously for a couple of years now. Um, yeah. So that is the Tampa Bay Rays and Kevin Cash. My national league manager of the year is another person who, who is someone who I highlighted, I believe as my, I'm pretty sure this is the person I had to, uh, to win the award. Yeah, it is, from my sleeper team, Chicago Cubs, David Ross. He is a first-year manager coming in. Uh, the Cubs are in first in the National League Central. And, you know, some of their guys haven't really gotten going yet. Uh, you know, Javi Baez I highlighted on my, uh, my slightly alarming uh, at one point. Uh, Chris Bryant is down with an injury. Um, Anthony Rizzo hasn't really gotten it going too much. Ian Happ has been uh, one of the best players on this team. Kyle Schwarber is hitting 220. Wilson Contreras is hitting 207. I mean, a lot of these guys just haven't gotten it going yet. And for David Ross to still be managing uh, one of the best teams in the National League, yeah, I can't help but have him as the uh, the manager of the year. 
Yeah, David Ross is a good pick. However, I, I have gone uh, kind of an interesting route because this isn't even a team that was – it's not a first-year manager, and it's also not a team that did poorly last year. It's just I've seen uh, what this team has gone through and how they've been able to still be at the top. Uh, my National League Manager of the Year is Brian Snitker. Okay. Uh, Brian Snitker, uh, he's missed out on uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. for 10 games, Ozzy Albies for – 19 games, uh, Nick Markakis for more than half the season, uh, Mike Soroka for, I believe, four starts now, and he won't be getting him back. And also, Mike Boltonevich unexpectedly uh, lost about four or five miles per hour on his fastball and is now in the minor leagues. So he's dealt with a lot. Um, he's dealt with a pretty bad starting rotation, yet they're still at the top of the National League East in a you know, what we predicted would be probably the most competitive division. Has not really been that? Uh, wait, what was that? The Phillies, Mets, and Nationals are all under 500. Yeah, and, yeah, and, you know, part of that is the Braves doing well. They've been able to weather the storm of whatever curse is happening in the National League East. And uh, I, I think Brian Snicker has, um, has, been, has been doing a pretty good job over there. Yeah, and manager of the year is so subjective, and the way the writers vote on it is so weird. Uh, so the only thing is just, like, the fact that uh, they usually don't give it to someone more than once within a short time period, that's kind of why I don't think they'll give it to Snicker because he won it in 2018. Uh, yeah, I would think that, like, my manager – the one thing that's always usually conflicting is my manager of the year pick versus, like, the writers, like – I remember 20, 2018, I thought that Craig Council deserved – Best record in the National League, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, like, last year I thought um, Aaron Boone should have won, but Rocco Baldelli came and uh, – Yeah. And he had the – he just had the, the big jump in, in wins. But, so, yeah, like, I'll always have my opinion, and then the, the writers will always have theirs. It's always kind of conflicting – it's there's they're very weird with the way they go about that award. Yeah, it's it's weird and you know, I you you never really know what's going on over there. But that transitions into the American League Cy Young uh who uh th this one's pretty easy. Yeah. Shane Bieber. That's correct. He's, uh, he's leading the American League in wins with 6 innings pitched with 46 and 2 thirds, strikeouts with 75, strikeouts per 9 with 14.5. FIP with a 1.7 FIP, ERA plus with 341, ERA with a 1.35, and he's also leading in a B war and F war. Uh, pretty easy one there. Okay, yeah. I mean, Shane Bieber. I mean, obviously, you know, you look at the 14.4. I mean, it's it's what, what do you what do you like about Shane Bieber? Is it that he's six and zero? Is it that he has a 1.35 ERA with a 1.7 FIP? Is it the fact that he has 14 strikeouts per nine? Is it the fact that he already has 2.1 wins above replacement? I mean, you pick. Which, which reason do you like Shane Bieber? I mean, there's nothing to not like about what this guy has done this season. Uh, so that is a clear-cut American League Cy Young Award this season so far. My yeah, and, and, he's, a, and he's, an, he's an innings eater, too. He leads yep. in innings pitched. Yeah. Uh, my National League Cy Young, I got to take, Chris. This what is, is it? 
This might, I think this might be the first one that we disagree on. Or no, wait, we disagreed on National League Manager of the Year, but that's subjective. I think we're disagreeing on this one. My National League Cy Young pick is the only pitcher in the National League, or at least only starting pitcher in the National League, to have at least 10 strikeouts per nine and less than 1.75 walks per nine is you Darvish. Okay. Darvish is 5-1, and one, a 1.7 ERA with a 2.13 FIP. He is 10.7 strikeouts per nine. In 37 innings pitched, he has accumulated 1.5 wins above replacement. Yeah, I I went with the uh, the more pretty standard pick. Pretty standard pick. Max Freed. Um, I'm looking at, yeah, Max Freed is my. I thought you were going to say Trevor Bauer. No, 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 not Trevor Bauer. He, if he, if he's made, if he made more than uh, five starts, maybe I'd, I'd put him in. But Max Fried has made seven starts now, so it's more of a just kind of luck of the draw there. Max Fried is second in innings pitched with forty, and he's also first in ERA with a one three five ERA, and he leads the National League uh, in Baseball Reference for I believe both among all all players and among pitchers uh and you know you could point out FIP and how you know his FIP is like 2.3 instead of 1.3 but his hard hit percentage against is in the 94th percentile his expected WOBA is in the 89th expected ERA 89th expected slugging in the 92nd percentile this guy has been this guy's been what Hyunjin Ryu was uh, last year. Not a big strikeout guy, but he's getting very, very soft contact. He's not allowing any barrels. Um, and I, I love what this kid's doing. <laughs> this kid, he's older than me. But I love what this guy's doing. And, uh, yeah, he's he's my Cy Young so far uh, in, in 2020 for the National League. All right. So that leads into American League MVP. And this one is an interesting one, but my American League MVP is going to also be Shane Bieber. Oh, Shane Bieber. He's, been, he's just been that good. Uh, all seven of his starts were quality starts. Four starts consisted of no runs being allowed. And this is probably the, this is probably the one that's definitely sold me the most. So the Indians have won in all seven of his starts even though the Indians have only scored 3.1 runs per Shane Bieber start. So they've only scored about three runs per start for Shane Bieber, yet they've won all seven. So I think that definitely shows you the performance of the the value that Shane Bieber has brought to the Indians without, especially when you have Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak go down uh, to the minor leagues. I know they've had some, some help with, who's come up, but he's been incredibly valuable uh, to the Indians. And I can't not give him the American league MVP through the halfway point in 2020. Good call. Good call on that one. I like that. Uh, I went with a position player for my American league MVP. It is a guy who I highlighted again uh, previously on how about that. And it is Brandon Lau uh, of the Tampa Bay Rays, this team. Uh, do the Rays have the best record in the AL? Is that a thing? Um, they might be tied for it with like the A's. They they might be the best. Like them the A's. Uh, I don't know. The A's the A's are actually actually are one win better. However, Brandon Lau, 
Uh, he has 1.9 wins above replacement. That leads all AL possession players. He is slashing 296, 397, 676 for his slugging percentage for a 1073 OPS. Uh, he has 4.42 WOBA and 188 weighted runs created plus. Um, you know, obviously, weighted, you know, these numbers can be skewed with a smaller sample size, but Brandon Lau uh, has made a giant step forward and becoming, you know, that, that guy on the raise for offense. You know, you trade Tommy Pham, uh, who was arguably your best offensive performer last year, maybe Austin Meadows, but Meadows has, had, you know, had COVID earlier in the year. Uh, so he hasn't been able to produce at the, at the full, uh, for the full season. Brandon Lau has stepped up and become that guy on the Rays. He is the most feared hitter on that team. And they are leading the American League East by two and a half games. And you have to look at what he's done. And in my opinion, it is enough to award him the most valuable player. Yes. Yeah, Brandon Lau, definitely. Um, he's definitely been the, the, the headliner for American League uh, yeah. position players, without a doubt. Uh, your National League MVP? Yeah, so uh, I think there's one of two ways you can go with this. Uh, there's, you know, two guys who, you know, arguably deserve the award, one of which uh, has been a lot more public with how good he has been doing, or at least on a more national scale, and that's the route I'm going with. Fernando Tatis Jr. is my National League MVP. It's either him or Mike Yastrzemski, uh, but Fernando Tatis Jr., I know, when I look at value, obviously, you know, I know this sounds super, you know, super traditional, but like, you know, you obviously have to look at the numbers, but like, you got to look at, you know, the eye test should, I think the eye test is what does it for me. You know, I, I criticize the eye test a lot, but I think that is what puts Fernando Tatis Jr. slightly ahead of Mike Yastrzemski. Uh, he is slashing 301, 381, 650 for a 1032 OPS with 4.26 WOBA and 173 weighted runs created plus. He's already accumulated two wins. Uh, he is literally, he is quite literally a five-tool shortstop, which is not something you see every day. I mean, he is doing things that shortstops don't traditionally do. You have to go back to like A-Rod, if you really think about it, to, to look at the last time we saw a shortstop putting up the numbers that he is putting up. Uh, so Fernando Tatis Jr. is my National League MVP. Yeah, I, um, I'm also going with Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, and, you know, even though he's been more public, I think he still has the numbers completely to back it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's tied for the National League lead in F4. Um, he has a 1032 OPS. And with runners in scoring position, he's hitting 450. That's right, 450. Pretty good. And to go with that, I think something that's not being talked about enough, probably because this this isn't as much of a factor in today's game, but he's got six stolen bases, and that is tied for fifth, uh, at least coming into Wednesday. It probably still is, but he is tied for fifth in stolen bases. So, you know, Mike Yastrzemski has similar, like, uh, OPS, OPS plus, weighted runs created plus, but he only has one stolen base. Fernando Tatis Jr. has six, so he's been an impact uh, from the batter's box, on the bases, and in the field, and that's why I'm giving him the uh, National League MVP. And also, in a 162-game season, he'd be on pace for 63 home runs and 31 stolen bases. So that's that's the type of good he's been this year. By the way, one thing I forgot to mention, uh, Kyle Lewis, throughout his major league career, 
uh, in the short time he played in 2019 and the time he's played this year. Uh, his 162 game average for home runs, 44. Yeah, unbelievable. Pretty good. But, and uh, that is the the uh, 2020 show to be named later midseason awards. Right. Sponsored by no one. <laughs> now we are going into uh, maybe our favorite segment uh, that we do every show. Uh, it is your Thursday, August 27th edition of. So, do you want to give your how about that first? I would love to, Chris. Yeah. Uh, I am highlighting a guy who does not qualify for stats. However, he has the second best weighted runs created plus, or I'm, I'm sorry, not weighted runs created plus, wins above replacement among major league catchers. And that is Austin Nola of the Seattle Mariners. Like I just mentioned, he has already accumulated one win above replacement. The only catcher ahead of him is JT Realmuto, who is 1.1. So, I mean, in theory, by the end of today, if he has a really good day and JT Realmuto struggles, Austin Nola could be leading all catchers in wins above replacement. He is slashing 315, 358, 562, and 920 on the season with five home runs. He also has a 389 Woba and 152 weighted runs created plus. Uh, that weighted runs created plus is third among catchers behind Realmuto and Pedro Severino of the Orioles. Austin Nola of the Mariners. Uh, you know, Tom Murphy, who was my guy to watch, went down to the beginning of the season. And Austin Nola has sort of taken over as the primary catcher. And he only knew a few hours, a few days in advance that he was going to be the regular uh, catcher. And he has done a very good job offensively uh, at doing so. So Austin Nola is my So, uh, for my how about that, I went, I guess it's an interesting route because you definitely know about this guy, but I'm not sure if the American public is aware of just how good this guy is. I'm talking about, so far in 2020, the best reliever in baseball, James Karinchak. Yes! I love this guy. Yes, James Karinchak. Um, it's... It's about time that we talk about James Karinchak, and I'd like to shout out. We briefly touched on him last show, but he needs his own segment, so I'm glad you're doing this. Yeah, and I'd like to shout out Jay Hay from Starting Nine for warning us, giving us some warning about uh, James Karinchak before the season started. So last year he had 42 strikeouts in 17 and a third innings and appears to be translating into the major leagues. So – 61 pitchers this year have appeared in 13-plus games uh, in, in 2020. And among all those pitchers, James Kiernczak leads, leads all of them in ERA with .54, FIP with .52, strikeout percentage with 51.7% of his batters faced his plate appearances against uh, ending in strikeouts and he also leads among the among those 61 pitchers in OPS against uh, with 302. If you play fantasy baseball and you want some free fantasy points pick up James Karinczak because he will give you easy strikeout numbers every time he goes out there. Yes and he leads all relievers in wins above replacement and uh, his baseball savant page is is absolutely hilarious. Uh, so hard hit percentage, uh, that's 80th percentile. But of course, that's going to be skewed because that's 
that's a hard hit percentage. That's that's hard hits divided by batted ball events. With James Karinchak striking out over half his batters, there's not going to be a lot of batted ball events. His expected WOBA against 100th percentile, expected ERA 100th percentile, expected batting average 100th percentile, expected slugging 100th percentile. He is yet to give up a barrel, uh, which is uh, you know a, an extremely hard hit ball. Is yet to give up a barrel this year in. Uh, 16. A barrel is uh, a barrel is like a, a hard hit ball combined with a certain uh, launch angle, I believe. Yes, it's it's they usually end up in extra base hits. He has given up none of those. His strikeout percentage is a hundred hundredth percentile, obviously, and his whiff percentage is ninety ninth percentile. James Karinchak, uh, this is probably, um, you know, if he keeps up this pace, this is probably your American League reliever of the year. And I don't think a lot of people know about this guy. He could probably be third for uh, AL Rookie of the Year. By the yeah. way, he's on the Indians, in case you're wondering. Yeah, he's on he's on the Indians, by the way. Yeah. He, he's been unbelievable. So now we go from the highs to the lows. We're going to be doing some slightly alarming statistics, highlighting guys that have been – very bad as of late or very bad throughout the whole season. So would you like to start with these slightly alarming statistics? So my slightly alarming um, for this show is someone who has had a very interesting career arc. Uh, this guy came up as a top five prospect uh, and sort of established himself as a three true outcomes hitter. But then last season he started to, you know, get on base more, hit more. And he started raising the average in the slugging. And this season, uh, he went into he you know he went into this season with high expectations as one of the premier power hitters in the league. And it, he hasn't necessarily gone away from that. But over the last 15 games, he has sort of resorted back to being that three true outcomes guy. And that is Joey Gallo. Uh, over the last 15 games, since August 10th, Gallo has hit has slashed 140. 306, 340 with a 646 OPS. Uh, obviously, a 140 average is very bad. Uh, but to his credit, he is he has hit three home runs and he has walked 10 times in that time. Uh, 23 strikeouts, though. 23 strikeouts in 15 games. The Rangers are 4-11 and 11 over the last 15 games. So, obviously, not what you want to see. Uh, Joey Gallo has been sort of resorting back to what, he, what we thought he was years ago, which is – I don't like to see that. Yeah. Slightly alarming. Yeah, the uh, Joey Gallo. He, you know, the the Rangers have been struggling, especially offensively, and uh, it kind of starts with Joey Gallo. So very unfortunate there. We were kind of expecting, um, expecting him to kind of continue off of what he was doing last year. Unfortunately, he was injured last year, but uh, you know, we thought thought we might be getting more from Gallo. But hey, uh, what can you do? So my slightly alarming. A statistic it's a it's another pitcher this one a starting pitcher and this man is uh losing dollars with every start that he is uh that that he is having talking about Robbie Ray Robbie Ray has been pretty just very 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 bad uh so 67 pitchers have started six plus games in 2020 and 
his 2.6 home runs per nine are third most among those pitchers, but that's not even the worst, uh, the worst attribute that Robbie Ray has, has had this year. He is walking a batter per inning. He has nine walks per nine, 9.0. That is the most among those 67 pitchers who have started six plus games. And, uh, it's it's over it's over fifty percent more than the next worst pitcher in that category. No one else has, I believe, six walks per nine, uh, six plus walks per nine. Robbie Ray has nine walks per nine. He also uh, has a four oh nine on base percentage against, and that is the worst among everyone who has started six plus games. Those sixty seven pitchers, and even when contact is being made, when he's, which is not a lot, even when contact is being made and he's not striking out somebody, he's not walking somebody, his hard hit percentage is in the seventh percentile. And uh, slightly alarming. So, yeah, it's, it's bad for, for Robbie Ray right now. Robbie Ray, um, you know, the, the Arizona Diamondbacks have been struggling mightily they've yeah, been they have been underperforming uh very much we we especially expected a lot more from this pitching staff and you know you're not madison bumgarner uh went down with an injury uh luke weaver has not been what we expected that gallon is pretty cool zach gallon uh was a how about that for us yeah but robbie ray has been maybe the worst pitcher in baseball uh, thus far. I, I should uh, – his ERA is updated. I think it was it was eight uh, before yesterday. And right now it is 7.84. His whip uh, is two, a flat two. He's, he allows uh, two walks plus hits per inning. It's, it's, it's been – very, very bad for Robbie Ray. Yeah. So now they're heading into the weekend. We should be previewing uh, some matchups we're looking for. I haven't dove deep into uh, any matchups really uh, thus far. Right. Who, what are What are you looking? What are you going to be putting on uh, the old MLB extra innings? Uh, All right. I have a couple matchups that I'm I'm thinking about, right? One of them uh, is Padres Rockies. Obviously, I mean, the Rockies. You know, they are over 500 now. They are 16 and 15. The Padres, of course, uh, are the Padres. They're 18 and 13. They've they've created Slam Diego. They've been one of you know they've been one of America's favorite teams, especially with Fernando Tatis Jr. And we get to see him at Coors Field. Uh, you know. Offense heavy ballpark, obviously. As far as matchups go, uh, we got Padre. We got a uh, Padres going with Garrett Richards on Friday. The Rockies going with Antonio Senzatella. Uh, the Padres also have a doubleheader today against the Mariners, so uh, we'll see what kind of state their pitching is in. So I wouldn't imagine they've. I can't imagine they've uh, predicted any more uh, probables. Yeah, no, they have not. Padres have not announced their starter for Saturday. Uh, the Rockies are going with Ryan Castellani. 
for Saturday. He's a 3-5-4 ERA, uh, is, uh, has a one-and-one record. And then on Sunday, uh, the Rockies have Herman Marquez, and the Padres have not announced their starter. Uh, also, another thing I've been looking at, I, I, I want to get these stats on the fly, but one thing I've noticed is that the Blue Jays and just the opposing hitters as well have been hitting really well at the field in Buffalo. I don't know if you've noticed that, Chris, but there's been a lot of high-scoring offense there. And the Orioles are going there this weekend. And the Orioles' offense, we've touched on a lot. You know, they've been hitting the ball pretty well. Uh, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see uh, the offense that comes out of that series this weekend as well. Yeah. So I think the uh, headliner, I guess, in terms of, I guess, importance um, in the in general Major League Baseball this weekend, uh, Astros and Athletics are facing off. So the Athletics are currently the have the best record in the American League. And uh, the Astros, historically, have been the kings of the uh, American League West since uh, 2017. And the Astros actually got swept by the Athletics the last time they faced off. And maybe the Astros might be able to gain some ground. It is weird uh, this year. Actually, yeah. one thing – so there's a couple couple things that I think um, should, I guess, be recognized. So I was thinking about this. This year, it would kind of make more sense if there was either one MVP Cy Young Manager of the Year or three because the American – so if you're an American League team, you're only facing four other American League teams. So I'm not sure if, you know, having an MVP represented in the American League makes the most sense. And I know – for like contract reasons and incentive reasons, you can't really have that stuff change, but it would kind of be interesting if there was like an East MVP, a central MVP and a West MVP, yeah. because those are the teams that are actually playing each other. Playing each other. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. It's one weird thought I've had about this season. So I'm glad I could get it out here. And uh, yeah, if you win the division, it doesn't really matter. I, I, it's weird. So like, even if the Astros, as long as the Astros get the second spot, it doesn't really, the doesn't playoffs, really matter yeah. if they beat the A's. I'm excited for playoff brackets, though. Like, that's going to be a lot more heated debate and a lot more like, well, this could go wrong, this could happen, this could, you know, whatever. Yeah, like, I think, gonna... like, the first round is, is a best of three. So, like, whoever has the better pitching is, like, nine times out of ten going to win, like, starting pitching. Yeah. It, yeah, like, three, the, like, three dangerous teams. And even yeah. the they can make it. It's uh, it's gonna be wild. And um, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned is like, there's probably, hopefully, hopefully there's going to be a, a bubble in the uh, in the playoffs. Yeah. So there's been a lot of, I mean, Buster only said that they're considering doing it. I don't know if it's final at this point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's they're gonna have to hold a lot of people though. That's 16 teams. What 16 times 25 is. Is how many, or at least for like the rosters? I mean, but that's four hundred um, players. So that does include coaches and staff, and and, and everyone else. Like that's a lot of people they're gonna have to hold in that bubble. Yeah, and um, the I I guess what would um help with that is I think they're trying two different locations to start. Mm -hmm. Um, so then it would be eight teams per location. 
that makes sense. So it's 200. I mean, you're going to need a, a spot with at least like a few different fields. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be weird because it's not like um, basketball where there's uh, just a bunch of basketball courts uh, yeah. in in the area. You can't have and you can't have one field have multiple games with multiple different teams because like in baseball you need a lot of time to be able to warm up on that facility. You can't just like have a oh you know, these two teams play at one o'clock and then these two other teams play at seven o'clock. Like you really can't have that in baseball. That doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to need, cause the, the, it's an all day affair when you, when it comes yeah. to warming up. I mean, the, the away team starts batting practice about four hours before the game starts. <laughs> Literally. You know, especially. Yeah, no, that is how... mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I mean, you're going to need, I mean, say there's, if there's eight different teams, you're going to need a place with like four different fields. And I mean, I guess they don't have to be necessarily like major league, major league fields. It's not like you have to like, it's like, oh, you have, you have Chicago, Milwaukee and, and St. Louis all two hours apart. Like if you can find one facility with four, like reasonably well-kept major league sized fields with respectable accommodations, like then I guess you could find that. Uh, the question is where, like, what do you do with that? And like, do you, do you use a spring training? Do you use spring training fields? Do you use like, I don't know, like college fields because the college, I mean, but the colleges are open. So you don't know. It's, it's a lot of, it, there's a lot of question marks to be had about a potential bubble. Uh, and it, do you even want to go to Arizona because COVID is, is really bad in that state. Same with Florida. Like, do you really want to put all the players down there? Like it's, it's a big question mark. Yeah. Because I was, I was surprised that, Texas and California were like the uh, the main places they were talking about, and because Arizona was Arizona was mentioned back in May for a potential bubble, and mm-hmm. you know it would, in a uh, it wasn't accepted because it was like a five month thing for a six week thing. It's more attractive. However, yeah, if if COVID is very bad out there, um, you don't want to put your players in that situation. You'd you'd almost rather do the regular travel standards. Yeah, exactly. I mean, knock on wood, nothing bad has happened in the last week or so. Yeah, and and uh, the the protocols have been working. The Mets only only missed uh, about four days, um, mm-hmm. so that so that uh that worked out. And I guess you have to do that every time. It's going to be weird when like a postseason. A series just gets delayed for three days. Yeah. I mean, imagine like the day before game seven, like say, I don't know, the Yankees and Dodgers are in the World Series. Game seven. Oh, Garrett Cole just tested positive. Oh, no. Oh, well. Well, I guess we got to go on without him. Like, what? Like, who's to say that's. I know we've mentioned this on the show before, but who's to say that doesn't happen? Yeah. I mean, and the, the worst, the worst way that I could get, I guess, um, for the Yankees is if it's, you know, a false positive. Yeah. Yeah. That would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> because, that, yeah. Cause you know, there's all the conspiracy theorists out there. There's going to be like, Oh, that was set up by blah, blah, blah. blah. That was my man. Fred didn't want the Yankees to win. So he gave Aaron judge a pause, a false positive. Oh, they didn't want the Dodgers to win. So they gave Mookie Betts a false positive. Of course. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, like, you know, there's like, that's probably not going to happen, but you know, those people are going to be out there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, as a as someone who who sometimes dives into conspiracy theories, I might be in there. I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see. I still I still see people talking about how like the rain delay in Game Seven of the 2016 World Series 
uh, was was like a false, like didn't need to happen. Oh yeah, it was only yeah, twenty I mean, long, and like the Indians had all the momentum. Like I've heard, like Trevor Bauer has like literally said, like yeah, if there's no rain delay, there's a hundred percent chance we win that game. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's an argument that the Indians win that game without the rain delay, but you know, the, the, the idea. The idea that it was unnecessary is is uh is kind of silly, but yeah, like you don't want Game Seven of the World Series to be decided because of a slow roller that died in the middle of the grass. Like that's so cheap. <laughs> yeah, or a wild pitch. Like think about it. Like Michael Martinez's hit. Like it was a slow roller. Like in theory, that could have died quicker, and he could have been safe. And like, well, you know, then who knows what happens after that? Well, Chris Bryant kind of slipped, and it might have been because yeah. of the rain. That yeah. could have sailed over Rizzo's head easily. Like that could have gone into the crowd. Second and third, two outs. I don't. I don't remember who would have been on deck, but like that could have gone so differently. And like, yeah, of course you need to take precautions because of the rain. But like, you know, I think it is a mat. Like, I definitely think the Indians could have won that game if had not, you know, if there had not been a rain delay. But I don't think the rain delay was like a setup. Like, yeah, it had to happen. If the weather was better, then we're, we might be looking at it. The Cubs might still be cursed if it was sunny out. Yeah, one hundred twelve years. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, maybe that Jose Quintana trade would would have been justified. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, still. Oh my God! I mean, imagine if, yeah, if they lost that, and then you know the Jose Quintana trade went bad, and like him Jimenez and Cease, like won a World Series with we're the having, White Sox. We're having huge, like so much different conversations about Theo Epstein. Yeah. Like, like, right now, like, Theo Epstein's walking into the Hall of Fame. Of course he is. Like, he ended the curse in Boston. He ended the curse in Chicago. That's all you need to do to go into the Baseball Hall of Fame, regardless of what else you do. If they don't win that game, what are we talking about with Theo Epstein? Like, is his, is his legacy, like, frauded because of the Quintana trade? He gets rid of Eloy and Cease and gets, uh, at best, like, two or three pitcher? I mean, I guess the, the, the argument to support him um, – at least for 2016, but also, you know, recency bias would, would hurt, would hurt him, especially without a world series. But Mm -hmm. it's like, he built a team that won 103 games. And, you know, I, once you get in the playoffs, it's out of your control, but, but still, yeah, his legacy would be looked at differently. And Terry Francona would be looked at as one of the greatest managers of all time, probably. I think he still should be. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, like I don't like I don't think there's any like I honestly can't think of one time, especially in 2016, like during those playoffs or just during any time in Terry Francona's career, where it's like a it's like a big decision where it's like oh that loss is on Terry that loss is on Tito, like I don't like what like what's the first thing that comes to mind for you when you think like bad moves that Tito made because I honestly can't really think of one right now. Yeah, never. Yeah, never bad. Um, because I remember when. I remember like Boston sports media was, was uh pretty critical of like John Farrell. Like they're critical of everybody. They were critical. They were, of Alan they were, they were critical of John Farrell in 2013 and they were complimenting Terry Francona because uh, Francona made it look kind of easy in the, in 2004 and, you know, 2007 and even like 2008. If you're familiar with Boston sports media, you know that they love to be negative. Like, that's because they, they, they care more about viewership than, like, accountable, like, honest takes. Like, in 2018, they were just like, well, what do we do? There's nothing bad to say about this team. This sucks. You know? Yeah, I think they harped on, like, 
I think they were like uh, outside of the Yankees. They had negative records against all the other playoff teams, but like I think that I think they just harped on that. <laughs> yeah. I remember like last year, like things are going so bad that so they were like, you know what we should do? Let's bring back that time that David Price and Dennis Eckersley got into fight. Let's just bring that back. Do you remember that, Chris? Like last year, that just brought that just got brought to attention again for no particular reason. Yeah, it was it was insane. Now that was a that was like pretty much right after the uh, London series. Yeah, uh, or like around that time, I think so. And uh, yeah, the Red Sox were in bad shape. You know, there wasn't much to talk about because everyone was struggling. It wasn't just one particular problem. And uh, and then yeah, the David Price situation just pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's gonna do it. That's gonna do it. That is pretty pretty long uh, episode. Hope everyone enjoyed enjoyed all of that. Do you do you still have an appointment? Yeah, I have one at noon. It's eleven forty now. Yeah. So yeah, you got to get going. Right, I'll hop off uh, if you want to finish the outro. Yep. I'll see you guys. I'll see you uh, in a few days. Yes, going back to Springfield. By the way, twenty six consecutive remote shows and uh i think that's that streak's coming to an end it might we'll see yeah yeah all right see ya so hope you enjoyed uh the uh, show to be named later episode 54 if you are on apple podcasts uh and spotify and you want to watch the videos you want to watch us talk uh Go to our YouTube channel. It's called STBNL with Christiana and Daniel Curran. If you want to follow me on Twitter, follow at Chris underscore Gianta. If you want to follow Daniel on Twitter or Instagram, you follow him at Daniel underscore Curran. The account is the same uh, in both uh, social media platforms. And if you want to follow the show Instagram, go to at STBNL podcast. Uh, where we post the promotional videos, post some good stats. We got some more how about that's and maybe slightly alarming statistics on there. Um, so that's definitely a good account to follow if you like the show. And we hope you enjoyed the midweek, uh, August 27th edition of the show to be named later. And we hope to be seeing you on Monday after we've recapped the uh, weekend of baseball that we that we just previewed um, on Monday. See you then.